The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. As Steve just mentioned, uh, yesterday um, it became federal law about the, the overtime law, which I don't know too much about, um, which a lot of the same arguments about minimum wage, the minimum wage arguments are applicable there. People are saying they're going to fire people, they're going to yeah, you know, use more technology than humans because of whenever you have a law like this, which is minimum wage, it affects people's salaries. So obviously there's pros and cons and it affects the the commerce and the economy and everything else involved. So uh, I don't know the facts um, because I tried to research this probably around, I found um, upwards of 30 studies on minimum, on raising the minimum wage. And they all have uh, various names which give away who's doing the study, so which doesn't seem so reliable. I mean, it's either extreme left-wing organization, extreme right-wing. So it's, it's very hard to find out what the tr what the facts actually are. Um, so we're gonna so we'll go through some of the pros and cons. And again, again, the, the goal really here is to discuss it from the Torah perspective, from the halachic perspective, um, to see where, where the Torah would come down on this issue. Um, because as far as the facts, I can't really, it's hard for me to tell. I'll give you the facts whenever you want. Okay, <laughs> after class. Thanks, John. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is, this is some of, this is from a neutral organization. They have, they list the top pros and cons. Top pro and con arguments, how are you? Yeah. You gotta let me know when you're coming so you make room for you. Very Don't worry, I'll take care of it. I'll move on down. Yes. Steve, move down a bit. Got the woman a plate. That's a plate and a fork. Uh, food. There's the food down this way. Steve. Thanks. Water, please. Thanks, Rabbi. Good chat. Thank you. Okay, so uh, so just so, so to start with some of the before we get into the pros and cons, just the facts which are on the inside on the left top left. So the, that one, this is a fact: the federal minimum wage for covered non-exempt employees is 7.25 per hour since 2009. Federal minimum wage provisions are contained in the Fair Labor Standard Act, um, FL, known as FLSA, which was passed, I believe, in. Originally in 1932 or something like that. Okay, um, and more or less in the beginning, I don't remember what the original rate was. It was um, since 1981, before they raised the 725, it was at 335 for many years, um, and it was it was a proposal to increase to 455, um, which George Bush uh, vetoed. George Bush, I believe it's senior. Not sure which one. Um, in any case, it, it didn't change for a long time. Of course, it uh, changed to 725, and now there's, as you know, there's a big push to change it to $15 in many states. Um, in New York and California, they didn't. That, that's really factually wrong. I put down here. Recently raised the minimum wage to $15. The truth is, it's, it's, an, increment. it's an increment, and it only will be. Um, fully raised to 15, I think, in the year 2020, something 21. I don't remember the exact uh, number. Okay. 
Now, what's interesting is, so just in looking at Texas, this is, I didn't know this, in researching for this class, there is, so first of all, I looked up, I googled Houston and minimum wage, so I found, the only thing I found really was the, there is a petition by the, some women's groups to raise it to 15, but um, Mayor Turner, campaign website came up and this is this is a quote uh, number three and this is from um Turner's campaign website. It says, Houston voters rejected a minimum wage increase in 1997. Since, since then, however, the increasing awareness of income inequality. Again, this is quoting uh, Mayor Turner's campaign website. So I don't know what, if he's changed his mind since he became mayor. I think he has a lot bigger uh, things going on since the flood. And the dramatic increase to the end, of course, transgender bathrooms. Um, so there's a lot of other stuff going on which might override this. So increasing awareness of income inequality and the dramatic increase to the gap between the rich and poor are creating an environment in which voter approval may be possible. Mayor Sylvester Turner believes that cities should be given, I changed it to mayor, it said, uh, so I didn't say mayor then, given the power to pass local minimum wage increase by a vote of the people. So what's interesting is it's, it's nice that at least when he was running, he doesn't seem to want to push it down people's throats. He's agreeing it should be come up as a vote by the people of the city as opposed to him just um, <coughs> shoving it down their throat. Um, again, I don't know what's happened since he's in office. This is prior to office. Yeah, nothing. There are uh, very few cities that have a minimum wage. There's a couple of states have very few cities. Oh, well, in California, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. Both left-wing places. Massachusetts, don't they? I don't know. But, you know, doing it where it's a spot where everyone can decide something different, makes it impossible for major corporations to run come to city. Well, although decide which city they want to be in. They could decide which city they want to be in based on what they Yeah, they probably say they, they, yeah, but they can't plan. It's after the fact or whatever. All of a sudden they raise it right. and use it. Uh, it makes a big difference at McDonald's or Walmart. Right. No, of course. Or yeah. No, Coles, it's a it's a very labor intensive. Right. So they would open less stores here if they knew that that was the case. Yes, so that's something we'll talk about as the, as the, pro, the pros and cons. So now there's a fascinating law which I found, which I, I don't know how many people are aware of it, um, that Texas state law, actually Texas passed state law, which prevents cities from raising their own minimum wage above the federal level. Um, so that's a law that was passed in 2003. Uh, it was authored by Charlie G uh, Guerin, yeah. Fort Worth, after Houstonians voted on raising um, the, our own minimum wage. So meaning because of the Houston, Houston at one point seemed to vote to pass the minimum wage, so therefore the state, there was a state law passed in 2003 that doesn't allow a city in Texas to raise the minimum wage um, by itself. So it's, a, it's an interesting thing, so I'm assuming that's why uh, Mayor Turner can really, even if he wants to, he really, I don't know how he would go about it, because even if he did vote to change it, he, uh, this law, the state law is saying the city cannot raise the minimum wage on its own. It's such an interesting uh, note here uh, that at least in Houston we seem to be protected from this. What? Since politicians have to follow the law, that's for normal. Okay, so that's as far as, again, as far as just uh, some of the facts relevant here to Texas. Again, I, like I said, I pointed out a bunch of pros and cons, which we'll, we'll get. I'm not going to go through all of them. There's 10 on each side here, top 10. Um, so, so, um, so we'll first get to 
Let's first discuss uh, some of the sources relevant to Torah sources in Halacha, in Jewish law, and then we'll see, and then we'll get to, again, what's, what's fascinating about this, two things. One is, it's good to see that, um, and this, we've discussed this here many times in this class, that Jewish law, or you'll always find a source for even social issues such as this, which is it's really a social, so, socio-economic issue, if you want to call it that. Um, it's, you'll always find sources within Jewish texts, old sources, I'm not talking about recent contemporary sources. As a matter of fact, it was hard to find contemporary sources on it, uh, Jewish sources. It was Most of the sources I found were old principles within Jewish law relevant to social, uh, social economic um, taxes and things like that, which can be applied to this. Um, that's number one. Number two is, like I said before, the question is, economists seem to disagree as to the pros and cons and the benefits and of, 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 a, of minimum wage. So halacha, Jewish law, cannot rule without knowing the facts. So in words, meaning, the question really is, is this a good thing or is it a bad thing? How, is it going to help um, poorer people, so to speak, or not? Okay, so without knowing the facts, meaning the halacha, you can't really rule uh, without knowing the facts. It's like in medicine. Let's say you have a medical ethics question. Okay, so without knowing the the, fa- the rabbi or the ethicist, without knowing the medical facts, can give an ethical ruling or halachic ruling, because obviously the the halacha is based on the facts. Okay, so if the facts are not clear, then it's really it. so. What we can discuss here again, since I I wasn't able to ascertain whether this is actually who's right in this situation, the pros or the, or the cons. What, is there a benefit to me raising minimum wage? So the, the so it's hard to. We can apply certain principles, but again, the question is it's based on economic facts, which there seems to be a lot of disagreement about. So that's number two, disclaimer. So let's, so let's start with some of the sources. So first of all, just the, kind of the first question is a question of, um, as we said, it clearly is relevant, Torah is relevant here. The question would be as to does Jewish law get involved in, in the realm of, as we know we get involved in let's say criminal law, Allah, the Torah has a lot to say about that. Um, we get involved in, in, in maybe some sense of civil law, right? But so the question is how, how much can the Torah mandate as far as wages are concerned? That's something that a, that a Jewish society gets involved in at all. That's, so that's the first question here, which I put down here, um, which is there are sources in the Talmud which seem to very clearly state um, that will, it says like this. Um, this is a, a Talmud I found tracted Baba Basra. It says the townspeople are permitted. We'll see. That's a, that's a key word here to fix weights and measures, prices and wages. Okay, which is that's our question here, and to inflict penalties for infringements of their rule. So we're talking about a rabbinical rule here. Obviously, not this is not from the Torah, but Talmud says that in Jewish societies, part of the, and it, notice how it says the townspeople, um, society can decide what. Um, various economic laws relevant to commerce, okay, and uh, specifically it's mentioning fixed weights and measures and prices and wages. It means to decide price control to a certain extent, um, as we'll talk about, and it's also relevant to this, and specifically wages, it mentions it. So clearly we see there's a precedent within Jewish law as to um, this concept of fixing or setting wages. Now, what does it mean? Does it mean a minimum wage? It doesn't really say. Okay, does it mean a minimum wage, a, a maximum wage? Exactly what it means. But the assumption is clearly they're saying this is what the standard wage is. I'm assuming what it means is what happened? Uh, 
We're talking about you with the wages. I'm assuming um, what it means is that um, that meaning society can set, in an essence, it does come out as a minimum wage. It's the same. The result is the same. But saying, let's say, if this is the normal, let's say, you sign a contract with someone, or I pick up uh, labor, I go pick up uh, some laborers, and we didn't make up a price. So what's the, is there an assumed price? I mean, there's no con contract, which states the price for the wages. So what is the automatic assumed, words, meaning can I come back and say, listen, I only meant to pay you uh, five bucks an hour. Or is there an automatic price? So I guess that, in essence, would be what a minimum wage is, to a certain extent, okay? So that's number one, that's source number one. Source number two, now the question is exactly what this means. No, so, so there seems to be a dispute amongst the authorities how this is decided, okay? How this would be decided. So I quote here, this is a Rishon, and he's an early authority, and number two, name was uh, Yitzchak Ben Yaakov of Fasi, known by his acronym, he's known as the RIF, Talmudic terms, he's someone who studied told the state, one of the major first codifiers in the Talmud, uh, of the Talmud, um, and he says like this, he says, uh, others understand the communal legislative authority become affected by means of a majority decision rule. That means this has to be voted on and, and it works as a democracy. It has to be a majority. He's referring to, let's say, there's a city uh, council or something like that. It would have to be voted on by the city council. Okay, or the betting, whoever it is. But it has to be based on majority rule, not based on, um, it can't be just a, you know, someone, the uh, president or someone saying this is the law as President Obama did yesterday, um, without, without having a vote, without having a majority rule. That's number one, okay? Number three says, goes on, this is brought in, this is codified within the code of Jewish law, known as the Shulchan Aruch, and it says like this, it says, deliberation of a legislative proposal according to Moshe Israelis, who's the Ramah, he's the amendum to the code of Jewish law, the Ashkenazic amendum, because the code of Jewish law was written by someone named Rabbi Yosef Cairo, who is Sephardic. So many, there's many times there's disagreement between Sephardic law and Ashkenazic law. So we go with the, with his, <coughs> most of us, I can't speak for everyone. You, are you Sephardic descent? Okay. What did you say you go with? The Sephardic? Uh, no, so where we go with, where since <coughs> most Ashkenazim, that means people who are not of Middle Eastern origin, um, go with the Ashkenazi uh, rule. So if there's a disagreement between the two opinions, I'll go with this opinion whose name is Ramosha Israelis. He was from Krakow, Poland in the 1500s, and he wrote uh, an amendment to the Code of Jewish Law for Ashkenazi. Okay, so he says like this, he says, um, members of the community, requires members of the community to decide the issue, again, members of the community at hand, um, whatever the issue may be, meaning a monetary issue, l'shem shamayim, which literally translated means for the sake of heaven, and we'll see what that means. So the different opinions as to what that means exactly, what they mean for the sake of heaven, translate as an obligation to consider whether the objectives <coughs> of the proposed legislation are consonant with halachic values, and is, the, it is, is it the best thing for the community? So I mean, they can't just randomly wake up one morning and say, we, we, we want to pass this law because we feel bad for the people. It has to be that it's for the sake of the community. That's when he says, Hashem Shemaim, it means that it's, gonna, it's clear consensus that there's gonna be, it's going to help the community. Okay, and what the, obviously it's a very vague statement, how is that defined? So we have to see, which is part of the, what we have to figure out here is to, as to um, what's the purpose of this legislation of raising the minimum wage, and is, is the purpose, um, is it going to help the community, which I said is very hard. 
uh, figure that out. Um, um, okay. So now, so now another key point there, which I point out, number one, when it's discussing this concept, and the Talmud discusses this concept of, of fixing wages and prices, the language used there it says reshaid, which means permitted to do it. It doesn't say it's mandated. There's a key difference here with what's up for discussion today in the, the question of, of mandating a minimum wage. That's very different than permitting. It's permitted to do, to, to do it, but it doesn't say you're obligated to do that. Okay? That's a key difference. So the language of the Talmud is very clear, and the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, both say it's permitted um, to fix the wage. That doesn't mean it's obligatory. That means it doesn't mean we have to do that. It means it's we have the right, or it's within the realm of the city or the locale to do that. But it doesn't mean that it's an obligation. Okay, so that's a very important uh, concept to, be, to understand. And the second one, as we mentioned, B here, on the top of... Uh, on the right side. So B, the question is, is it good for the community and will it achieve its stated goal? Okay, now, again, that's the key question here. Is this something that, that as we're saying, it has to be um, for the sake of heaven, which means it has to be, the proposed legislation has to be something that will fit with halachic values and is the best thing for the community. And like we said, that's debatable in this case. <coughs> but we need to take a look at what is the stated goals of raising the minimum wage. Something that I saw from all the websites I've seen, pro and con, everyone agrees the goal, the stated goal, is to provide a living wage for the working poor. Okay, now what living wage means, that's also debatable, obviously. Um, what, how do you define a living wage? Um, what might be a living wage for you, for me, Alan, uh, that's not going to work for Alan. Right, we have different ideas of, of living wage. Wages. Um, so. Which Alan were you living Okay, so uh, so again, so so what? So that's but that's the clearly stated goal, which is to begin to provide a living wage for the working poor. Um, Again, like we're saying, that's also debatable. In what's what's the definition of a living wage? Um, so just to go through, okay, we'll guess we'll get to the pros and cons in a second. Um, Is that before or after uh, paying for a Jewish day school? <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. That's that's why we're different. No, but after paying for Jewish day school, yeah, we're all living wage. Yes, that is true. That's a, that's a, that is a key question. Because the Torah would like us to send their kids to Jewish right. school. So it's, it's, a very good, it's a valid but, point but, you make. But, but the other perspective is, so this is uh, proposed laws. Once the law is in effect, the Torah says we have to abide by it, right? So that's another, that's another valid point, which I have. That's the last one on, on, the, on the sheet, which is, and we'll talk about that later. Meaning once, you're right. What should we, now we're discussing, should we pass the law? And once the law is passed, then there's a whole different issue. Do we have to observe it? Um, meaning as as Jews in a society, yes. uh, or not. So we'll see. Well, that's the end of the class. I want to give away the punch. <laughs> if what? the law says you have to kill your neighbor, you probably shouldn't follow it. Right, right. So, that's a, so, so there's a different question of, uh, meaning if you have, the general rule is we have, and we've spoken about it here in the past, 
It's something called Dina de Malchut Adina, which means the law of the land. The halacha says, Jewish law says, the law of the land is the law. And that's only when it doesn't contradict the Torah law, meaning, like you say, if the law of the land says, to, like you're saying, you, you can't eat kosher, so then you don't have to obey the law of the land. So, so again, the question would be if, let's say, may, ra- paying someone minimum wage would be against Jewish values, let's say, just for argument's sake, for so then if it's going to bankrupt businesses, okay. maybe, right? so, that, so that would be a question. Meaning if you're not helping society, if it's bad for society, so maybe that would be something that we don't want to support. So then that's where it comes to the question. If you have a contradiction between the law of the land and Jewish law, how does that work? When, it, when, when the law of the land contradicts... Contradiction. Oh, so that's a good question. I, I don't know. So, so we'll, maybe we'll get to it. But it's a very valid point. So Both your points are very, very valid in the sense of how do you define poverty, meaning after. Send him to law school, buddy. Just give him a scholarship for good law school. Fire's Who needs law school? Okay, so just. So. Okay, so we'll get to the pros and cons. So let's. I just want to start off. So as far as the laws of charity, meaning. Because again, if you're, if this is the defined goal of raising the minimum wage, right, providing a living wage for the working poor, so that concept is a noble concept, um, and I want to show you from within Jewish law that uh, that 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 tech- that's something that would, of course, fit with Jewish values. Um, so, the, so as we know, the most the Rambam, Maimonides, is famous for. In he has a whole section called Ilchat Staka, where he codifies the laws of charity, which we've discussed here in the past. The hierarchy. There's two types of hierarchies that he discusses. Called the Rambam's Ladder. There are many books written on this, even contemporary books, um, secular books, um, that use this um, within the framework of a, you know welfare and charity. How what the best forms are. So it's known as the Rambam's Ladder. Actually, is a book by that name. Um, written, uh, again, for secular society, nothing to do with Judaism. Um, but one of the, there's two types of priorities. We discussed here, we once had a class in the past about who to give to. I mean, there's the priorities in giving, which is where, you know, uh, the people in Africa, your ex-wife, etc. how does that work? Who do you help first, right, if you have X amount of money? Okay, so that's, that's priorities in who to give to. Then there's, there's another ladder the Rambam talks about, list of priorities, which is the best method of giving charity, meaning Right, there's there's having your name in big letters on the wall. There's you know going to a food bank. And I was, what's the best form of method? So in the, on my mind, these eight levels of charity, um, his highest level on the ladder is something known as as self-reliance. That means not giving someone a handout. Oh, it's so oft quoted, um, I think, um, as Christians. Exactly. Exactly. We're going to push that in a second. So, right, exactly. Disgusting there. But the point is. Um, right, it's not. Right, exactly. Meaning it's quoted off from in the name of Christianity, but it actually comes from the Talmud. This concept it comes from humanities. Meaning the Rambam says very clearly, and this is quoting the Rambam. Um, the, the gift of self-reliance is his highest level of charity. He says, to hand someone a gift or a loan. Alan, this is uh, David. Sorry. It's very important. No, it's, this is for, this is for uh, Hebrew Philon. Um, to hand someone a gift or a loan, this is according to my mind, to enter into a partnership with him or to find work for him so that he never will have to beg again. Um, as the verse states, your brother shall live with you. Strengthen him to the point where he no longer falter and become a ward of the community. So my man is saying, well, that we'll explain in a second, but he's saying that the highest level of charity is not to give someone charity or to give someone a meal, to give them a handout. Um, because the person, first of all, you're not, in a certain sense, you're helping them, obviously, for today. It's going to help them. They won't be hungry for lunch. 
as you guys, that's why I give you, right? But I'm saying, but, uh, but that's it. You know, just when it comes to dinner, they're still going to be hungry. So you're not, in essence, you're helping them, but you're not helping them in their future. So the highest level of help to help an image person, someone in need, is to help them get a job. Help them do something which will help their future, help mm-hmm. them help themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, that's what that's what humanity says. Self-reliance. So if you can get that person to, to the area of self-reliance, someone wants to start a business and they need a small business loan or whatever the case is, where where you, they need the money to pay off their debt and then they can be on their own. So that's the highest level of charity. Um, so in this case, technically, just um, um, what the Ramam is saying would fit very well with, in essence, exclu- assuming that the minimum wage will, will provide a living wage for people who don't currently don't have that and are living in poverty. Um, so technically, that would fit with this highest level of charity, with the goals of, of Maimonides' highest level of charity, which is uh, self-reliance. Okay, again, that's if it can achieve it. So that's that's point number one. Now, there's a key difference here which is my man is of course referring to this ladder of priorities referring to private charity that means I have X amount of money I, I need to prioritize what's the best way I should give it away okay who to give it to and how to give it so that's what he's saying the best way to do it is to open a free loan society or something like that where you're helping people get uh, be self-reliant as opposed to just giving handouts um, so but that's again referring to private charity here the question and that's a voluntary basis charity there's, there's an, of course an obligation to give but the question is how much to give that's voluntary or who to that's, this is all voluntary here we're talking about mandating a law for society so that's very different so I want to point out that's, that's not that's not what my mind is addressing he's addressing the law of charity but he's addressing how much I personally how, how to give it should give how to give it and who to give to okay that's not the same as here when we're trying to question society mandating a law telling employers what they have to pay. The goals might be the same. So all I'm pointing out is the goals are noble goals. If, if the explicit goal, as we've said, is to um, help people may be self-reliant, so that fits with Maimonides. But as far as, that's not, Maimonides is not saying, it's not in any which way mandating um, passing a law for minimum wage. So that's important to note. Okay, now, the other thing is, which I found a few articles about this, there are many, there's an argument um, this is where we get some of the pros and cons. There's an argument that uh, at welfare, meaning that one of the arguments for raising the minimum wage is that it's not based on the minimum wage, it's not worth working. Um, because you get more on welfare, if you stay on welfare and you don't get a job, then you get more, you get paid more than if you, if you go out and get an entry level job. So this is a big debate in societies, in many societies where so you're saying is the problem welfare or the problem not, so maybe we should raise more yes, yes, yes. yes they're not yes. incentivized to get a job right yeah, so, so it's, it's it's not a problem what you're paying the people that are getting minimum wage the problem is the productivity of the people that are getting minimum wage it works both ways you know that so, no, so, so what are you saying? So you're saying don't what? make use. So you agree that we should raise the minimum wage? No, no I, I, I don't think. I, I think that would solve the problem. Well, the aren't, aren't well I, yeah, I think first of, first of all, I don't think it's a problem what you're paying them. I think it's a problem what they're taking home. I think I would reduce taxes for the working people. Forget about the welfare system. It's just so you're pro Bernie Sanders, Louise. You're no, voting I, for Bernie. I believe if somebody is you're voting working, for Bernie, if someone yes. is if someone is earning under. 
25000 or 18000 or whatever they take is down low, why should they pay any taxes? Not me, I don't care. <laughs> Well, they don't. Most of them don't. No, they, do. they still pay you 20 percent or whatever. <coughs> no, no, that's not true. If you're below the poverty level, you don't even have the pay. I can tell you that you don't pay taxes. You won't have any taxes for Social Security. I would start it after a certain level, so they're significantly better than the people were given the free rides. To. That would incentivize people that are getting free rides to go to work. I, I would make it so that people that are earning the lower part don't pay taxes, don't pay Social Security, and bring them up to above, definitely above the welfare people. Everybody should have to the game. And the welfare people, there's got to be a way to make it so they, that they don't want to stay on welfare. Right now we right. Okay, so that's so, so that's a pro argument for minimum wage. If you raise the minimum wage, that would be incentivized to get a job, entry level job. Right now, there's nothing putting them into the workforce because it's not worth it for them to go to work. If we raise well, the minimum wage, that would they don't, most of them don't care to go to work. No, if they were making more money, they would. They, no, they can buy they, more drugs. More money means they buy more drugs. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think the money motivates them to go to work or not. I think no, a lack of money can demotivate, but money isn't going to motivate. Someone who's lazy is lazy. It's going to not motivate, yeah, but for starters. So some of them would work for a higher wage. Some don't want to work anywhere. Don't say, but there are people, okay, without generalizing, there are people who are motivated. Sure. Just it's not worth it for them to go to work. Yeah, but they're going to be making less than enough, but they're getting it. We're paying people that are not working. Instead of paying Jonathan over there who's not working, why don't we pay him less and give the give the benefit to the people that are working? Let's reward people that are doing good versus reward people that are doing nothing. That's what we're saying. Pay the people that are working more. They would get more. Even if you didn't pay them more, even by government incentives, they would get more. We're giving government incentives. We're, as a country, we're rewarding the government makes up the minimum wage. Maybe the employer doesn't have to cover it. Instead of paying the welfare, maybe you cut the welfare down by a quarter. If you That's work with you a quarter of the money that you're getting, you're getting on welfare, you take your job making less than this. The government supplements, it saves them money for welfare, you supplement the minimum wage. That's a good idea. No, no, no well, basically what you're saying is they have to be working to get welfare, which is some states, some states try to pass. They have to be working to get welfare. Yeah, or something. No, 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 I, mean, I would get. I would give a service to the state. Let's not sweep the streets. Yeah, I mean, see, that covered the difference. An hour. You get more for working. You make it incentive. Yeah, you make up the difference by making like the government the saves the money that they're not going to make more welfare, and you put them to work, and they get incentivized from an economic standpoint. You made up the difference to make it work. You don't make the employer the whole bill. You don't. Where should have to put the whole bill? The government's already paying the welfare anyway. So if you save, you save three quarters of that money from the government, you're doing good. You pay a quarter of it to pay the people. We generally agree with the overall concept that you started. The problem is how to get the people that are working more income, to reward them for working and above a certain level. And I think we all agree on that. There's just different avenues to get them there. Well, yeah. Then there's also the issue of disability. Once people go on disability, they can't get off. Because That's a whole other thing, isn't up. it? That's a whole they other thing. They don't want to work. Yeah, I just met somebody. They're not incentivized to work again. No, yeah. no, disability. You're talking about yeah, federal but disability? Not, but even if technically they could come off of disability, there's no incentive for them to come off. Well, if they're on disability and they shouldn't be, then they shouldn't be on it. Period. So if you're on disability, what are all these people taking welfare? They should be on welfare. Same, same argument. No, it isn't because disability sometimes you can't change. No, no, that's different. No, 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 you're arguing with the ones no, that are. You, you, you're right. the argument shouldn't, that be that shouldn't be on welfare anymore. That's where I was going. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so this is a study that was done that said there that 
Welfare is the highest paying entry level job in 35 states. Mm -hmm. um, okay, 35 states. Now this, this is an article that is saying it's not necessarily true. I mean, this is from the Cato Institute, so let's take it with you. <laughs> Because welfare is the highest paying. Right. Yeah, I'm saying so. Okay, so again, you have to look at the source. But Wakato well, Institute claims that welfare is the highest paying entry level job in 38 states. Um, now, this is an article from the Washington Post which tries to debunk some of those facts, but it, they do agree, if we do some of them, um, they do agree. This is in 2013 data. Uh, it says the biggest welfare package was in Hawaii at forty-nine thousand one hundred seventy-five dollars. Unbelievable! Wow, I'm to Hawaii. Yeah, it may really. be distorted because uh, the cost of living is very high in Hawaii. The, the lowest was in Mississippi at sixteen thousand nine hundred eighty-four. That's still a lot. Population growth was crazy in Hawaii. You're fifty grand a year for doing nothing. It's hard to get there. I thought a lot of them finally. And sixteen thousand is pretty far in Mississippi, surfing don't you think? I thought Alaska would be higher because Alaska's got all that. Surfing, that is all that money. That's a lot of money. Welfare paid more than the average pre-tax first-year wage for a teacher. In 11 states, more than the starting wage for a secretary in 39 states. That's heartbreaking. And more take-home money than an entry-level computer programmer in the three most generous states. Okay, so, so that's what they're saying. So it's not really acting in 35 states, depending on what. But um, then it says the pre-tax wage equivalent for welfare recipients exceeded the median salary in the, in the state in eight states. It's not really, th they're just, breaking down the numbers from the study. So they're saying only eight states did the pre-tax wage um, for wealth, the median salary, compared to the median salary in, in that state, um, was only eight states. Okay, that was higher. 35 states, welfare paid more than a minimum wage job, even after accounting for the earned income tax credit, and paid more than $15 per hour in 13 states. So... You should make a proposal. From our discussion today, we should send a proposal. What? Yeah. Your proposal. They don't. They don't. don't. They 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 if you're not if you're not covered by insurance now, yeah. you have a penalty under Obamacare now, which is about seven hundred dollars in the person. Everybody in your family, for every adult, like half it of that is a child. So if you're, you know, so if you're out, then, then all of a sudden you have to add on another. It's another bump up over there. You have to get over another hurdle. That's that if, from if you get sick and you don't have the insurance coverage. You say if you're not on you get really like cancer. I'm just talking about the actual. That's, I'm assuming you're healthy. You don't have that. Right. You don't have Medicaid. You get that as a starter job. You have to get health insurance. I think it's only like three hundred bucks or something. I mean, I don't think it's a lot of money for a low. Depends on what you make. Okay, yeah. so, so yes. Three hundred a month. No, if you're a low earner. <coughs> Earning person. Yeah, I mean, the requirement for med for medical insurance. Three hundred dollars a month. Is no, no. I mean, I think isn't it like three hundred a year if you're like earning not a lot of money? Okay, so we gotta we gotta stick to the top. Okay. So try the tape. Um, okay. So again, so we have to do whatever he says. So uh, we have to. These two other quotes here that I quote. Bridget, Bridget, Bridget. You ready? 
Okay, so uh, the the two other quotes here that I put here. One is just as far as again this concept, like we're all talking about, which is the concept of working is clearly a Jewish value. Um, to meaning to get people to work, actually work is very important. Two quotes I put here. One is uh, it says uh, it's a Mishnah in Ketubot in the tract of Ketubot. It says idleness leads to immorality. Okay, when you're sitting at home all day watching Oprah, not healthy for your morality. Um, that's number one. I thought she went off the air. She has her own TV station. I'm told that I'm just remembering my idle days. That I haven't been out of for a while. That's a good that's good. That's a lifetime show. That's portable. Every guy's there. What's the guy the the guy with the Spanish name is Jewish? Geraldo, right? He's Jewish. He's Jewish? Of course. I don't even know how he got back on the air after he got punched. Where did these people come from? Okay, so so watching Araldo can clearly lead to immorality. Okay, that's number one. Number two, um, it says, this is an interesting thing that the Talmud talks about that it's referring specifically, uh, Alan, you like this one for rabbis, unemployed rabbis. It says, flay flay carcasses in the marketplace and earn wages and do not say I am a priest and a great man and it's beneath my dignity. The Talmud is very much pro-work. I mean, there's no concept in, in Yiddish. Um, there's a saying called it's pasnisht. You know, have you ever heard it? Yeah. It's pasnisht. It's pasnisht. I mean, you know, it's like below me. It's yeah, beneath it's me. I can't do that. No, I'm not going to flip burgers and McDonald's. Where did that come me. from? I, I, I don't know. I mean, so no, so I'm, we're saying I'm, it's I'm, not a Jewish value. No, that's of course not. A, not. Meaning, meaning you, you need to make a living. Whatever you got to do, whatever you got to do. There's no, there's no such thing right. as something that's beneath your dignity, even as a rabbi. So it's saying here, you know, rabbi's going to say, listen, I can't do that. I'm a rabbi. Can't go. Uh, so there's another issue about flipping burgers and McDonald's if you're because you can't benefit from meat and milk. It's a separate issue. But so I'm saying, assuming it's a kosher flip, kosher restaurant, kosher restaurant, you can even flip burgers. No, no matter who you are, there's no such thing as something that's beneath. That's right. So even if it's if it's a job, you're gonna make a living. A person can't claim. Listen, I only want, I only take a white collar job. I'm not gonna, you know, do something which. So that's that's also not a Jewish value. Too. The Talmud says very clearly, you got to do what you got to do to make a living. There's no shame in, in working. Um, although some societies, even fortunately Jewish societies, will have it. As a matter of fact, in the Talmud, most rabbis, most Amoraim uh, Tanaim, uh, the authors of the Talmud, had other jobs besides being a rabbi, believe it or not. So today, unfortunately, in many, in some societies, in some societies, work is a four letter word. Um, especially in Israel, is a big issue in, in the uh, extreme Haredi communities because the problem is it's another disincentive to work because if you go to work you have to you have to go to the army if they're in yeshiva you're exempt from the army so that's another reason that they don't want to work because it's once they even take a part-time job then they need to if you're not learning studying full-time you need to go to the army so that's another big problem in, in Israeli society so this is against again that's against your values in the sense of Thomas says very clearly you need to you need to get a job you need to no, it's important to have a job. Work is a good thing. So if you get paid and you're not really working that hard, is that a bad thing? <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's Jewish. That's a well, very good Jewish value. That's surely Jewish value. You can't get that job. That's called the Jewish value.
Free money? Oh, Easy, money. Easy money? Oh. Um, okay. Now, so, so let's, let's get, so Tur, we're in the back now. Okay. So, uh, back page. So the question is again, what's, so this is all very nice. We're saying, technically speaking, the concept of raising the minimum wage would fit with the concept, as you mentioned, Maimonides, charity concept um, of what the ideal charity is for society. And we're saying it's a good thing to get to work, as we're all agreeing here. Questions connected to use. But the question is, bottom line, is what, what are the economic realities? As we discussed, meaning, is it, is it going to work? Is raising the minimum wage going to work? So that's what I put down here. Economists argue ra whether raising the minimum wage will result in unemployment. That's one of the big uh, cons. They're saying that the fact is that if you raise the minimum wage, many employers who can't afford, who are not now not going to be able to afford to pay more employees. So they're either, as we see what happened with Obamacare to a certain extent, or and now they're saying it's going to happen with the fact that um, federal government is now mandating overtime um, payment. Um, I don't know enough about that law, but... It hasn't started yet, so I can send I always thought that they, was they, they just lowered the level to where it has to kick in. When, wh how many hours considered over time? I always thought that was a law. So now, so the point is, so, so what happens is you have something which, maybe someone can explain it better than I am, and I'm an economist, which is that people, <coughs> employers tend to substitute capital for labor. Anyone can explain that to us? Yeah, that that means? I got a good point. Um, in, in, I go to Bangladesh. The workers there got a huge increase the last two years from $30 a month to $50 a month. Factories there are buying technology, automatic bar tacking machines and stuff to replace workers mm -hmm. because it's the machines are cheaper, more reliable. McDonald's, when they put the soda machines outside for you to fill your own cups, it's because they don't, they wouldn't pay they, the they, they've already said they're not going to have to pay a worker. And to fill the cups. Even McDonald's, when you drive through, has automatic drink filling machines. Really? So the person doesn't have to sit there. And uh, cars being built in America are being built mostly with machines and computers now, not being built with people. Because the union. Keep raising the that's all that's the union. You go to uh, Home Depot, Lowe's, it's self checkout deals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Parking or self self kiosks. Well, Technology is The truth is, the, the, the self checkouts rather than the people and, checking and wages out. keep going up. That more producers to invest in technology, which leads to more unemployment, which leads to more welfare. So it's, 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 a, it's exactly what he said, is that there's a cost trade-off. These people all have these scientific matrices that says either one, they cut back the amount of workers. So if you go to McDonald's, you used to be able to order and get your food in three minutes. Now it's five minutes. The lines are longer because they can't raise the prices. You know, So either they make the portions smaller to save money or they have to save on the labor right so so, it's, so it's okay so that's so just we have to be uh, uh, fair and give equal time to both sides so <laughs> so that's yeah, so that's that's a major argument against minimum wage so I'll just read you the pro pro side here which is made raising the minimum wage would increase economic activity and spur jobs up. Let's see what they say. I didn't read this yet. I just put the next. Well, I didn't you. say. Yeah, I don't yeah know. no. There so is a relationship whether yes, they raise minimum yes, wage fifty cents or not. Does it matter? But right. So how much? I can tell you for the targets and the WalMarts people that are mass employers. Ten cents an hour makes a huge difference. And then going from seven twenty-five to fifteen. Right, that's that's obviously a major. That's. Well, it's currently seven twenty-five. Seven twenty-five is the federal mandated rate. Yeah, so it's pretty serious. That's why I don't mm -hmm. saw the Hillary-Bernie debate. Hillary wants to raise to nine, not to 50. She agrees to raise to nine. 
although she backtracked three times. I now. think it depends on but the region um, you live in, you know, and then. No, I'm saying fair, as far as fairly mandated, Hillary's. Bernie's pushing for 15. Hillary's saying she wants to make it on Hillary depends on who the audience is. Right, that's what I'm saying. She yeah. said she, she'll go yeah, to 9. She, then she says she's incremental from 9, they'll eventually. Mm -hmm. She agrees to go to 15 at some point. So I'll just read you the, the pro here, just again to give. This is from a neutral organization called ProCon.org. They <laughs> give both sides of every, every topic. Um, so on this one, it says the economic activity and spur job growth is the, is the pro. The Economic Policy Institute, which I have no idea who that is, stated that a minimum wage increase from the current rate of 7.25 an hour to 10, 10 an hour would inject 22.1 billion dollars net into the economy and create about 85,000 new jobs over a three-year phase and period. How would create new jobs? Yeah, I, don't know, that's I don't know. Economists from the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago predicted that a dollar seventy-five rise in, in the middle in the federal minimum wage would increase aggregate household spending by 48 billion of the following year. People are going to spend more money. The, the employers, employees that are making more wages are going to spend more money. Um, thus, boosting GDP and leading to job growth. Give the guy oh, a chance. Give the guy a chance. That's great. One second. Like that. A 1994 well, study I'm, by I'm economists. I'm not listening to CNN now. A 1994 like study by economist Alan Kruger, PhD, and no, David no, no. Carr, PhD, compared employment in the fast food industry after New Jersey raised its minimum wage by 80 cents, while Pennsylvania did not. Kruger and Card observed that job growth in the fast food industry was similar in both states and found no indication that the rise in minimum wage reduced employment. Their findings were corroborated by economist Heuristus Duculiagos, PhD, and T.D. Stanley, PhD, in a review of 64 minimum wage studies. The authors found little or no evidence of a negative association between minimum wage and employment. Okay, sorry. So, so they're talking about 1010. But that right. doesn't mean 15, to say right. if you go up to 15, yeah, 15 that's going to still be... I think everyone agrees it's all 15. So there's like a tipping No, it's meaning, but the question is they're saying doing an increment, um, incremental, till 2021. Like in California, they raised it to 15, but, but incremental increases to that till 2021 or something. Okay. So by the way, if you look at the, the, uh, the front here, uh, my, my uh, cartoon, not my cartoon, I do that I stole. Um, Did so you get permission to reprint that? No. I only went for Jewish ethics. He's got I get to decide what's up. So, so the, uh, so it says there, not that you see, it's the same thing, meaning there's obviously some, in any situation like this, you're going to, you might be helping certain people, but obviously the employers, meaning the same thing, the pros and cons is going to help. So it's probably at the end of the day, that's what it is. But, um, another argument against minimum wage is that it only benefits teenagers. It's not, it doesn't benefit the real workforce because most people at these entry-level jobs are teenagers as opposed to adults. So you're not necessarily helping the, the society at large, you're just helping teenagers get their summer, their summer jobs, uh, make more in their summer jobs. Well, they, they say that, that study is based on minimum wage, but the, the deal is if minimum wage is seven fifty and someone earns $8, okay, they're not in that study. Because they're not earning right. minimum wage, That's true. they're earning more. So it's just, they could, they could, but if it takes them from 750 to 850, it, that, that would be a much bigger group. You know. Are oh, you saying then? You know, if you include, yeah, you say, oh, you're raising minimums. it so high, so then we're not just dealing with entry level. If you, look, if you look at if you look at corporate earnings, if you look right. at corporate earnings, I don't think there's any mass anyone that's earning the big mega bucks in the corporate level is not labor intensive with minimum wage workers. Okay, yeah, yes, McDonald's is making money. They're not making it like they used to. 
Dunkin' Donuts and making it like it used to. Okay, uh, and I don't think Starbucks pays minimum wage. I think they probably pay over that in their stores. They don't, but they have benefits of it. You know, yeah, they have health insurance. Yeah, yeah, different stuff. <laughs> they get more productivity because they give them caffeine fixes. But I, I think you're, whether it's Apple or your big people, they don't employ any minimum wage people. Well, Apple not, because they're uh, Apple probably not, but let's say Exxon or but Exxon, the energy Exxon, industry. Exxon probably doesn't have anybody working from below $15 an hour. I'm not sure, right. meaning, meaning you know, people are, you know. Meaning, uh, yeah, workers get $25, now, refinery workers. There's no minimum wage workers there. That's what I'm the companies that are making the big money aren't paying minimum wage. And even the Apple retail stores, they're not paying minimum wage. Of course not. So it is, the people that are paying minimum wage are the retailers, the Walmarts, the pennies. Pennies is losing their ass. They keep, you know, whatever. Seriously. That was Jonathan. Okay. So people that, the, big, the biggest user of minimum wage people is retail. Retail and fast food. And restaurants, yeah. I know, so that's, but that's small business. That's, that's the point. They're saying I mean, the people that's going to hurt are the small businesses that are paying the restaurants so like they are paying minimum wage those are the ones that businesses more to are help paying the minimum wage right yeah, yeah. but the janitors they get minimum wage don't they the cleaning cleaning yeah. cleaning profession Cruise. usually but most of those are illegal so we don't have not in the big companies republican democrat whether you got a problem there yeah. not in the big company in the big company that hire huh? they're using you know organizations for yeah. the cleaning crews yeah yeah so they're illegal i mean hopefully but the company that it's you know it's Okay, so you have to look at who, who's making the money. If you want to get the money back, who's making it that you want to get it from? You know, it's not... Okay, so, so, so again, I'm not going to go through all ten pros and cons, but that's, so the, this, this argument about teenagers is also a hearing point, a very valid point you're making. Um, let, me see, let me see if they address that the teenager issue. Let me see here, one second. Um, it's, it's called starter wage. Right, so meaning, so that's the question. How much would it really help the people who need it, the adult workforce who really need it? But again, if they're jumping to 15 now as a good bet, that's where it would be more. And clearly it's going to help not just the teenagers. But, but in any case, okay, so yeah. the, que the question becomes, does it deal with, with the poverty issue? Okay, so there's also um, another thing I saw was the secondary earners, meaning a lot of economists argue that um, the studies are skewed because the people sometimes they're just a secondary. It's just not. They're not. That's. They're not looking at the full picture. They're looking at one person in the family, um, and they're saying, "Okay, we'll help this person." If there's multiple today, we really know families that don't have multiple earners. So then the argument becomes: the study about this guy doesn't help. Is it going to help him personally? Yeah, but you have to look at the whole family and who's how many second. Is it a second job? Is it a first job? So, so, so if they're making twice as much money, uh, and they're still racking up the same amount of debt or twice as much debt, is it really going to impact their general That's a good question. lifestyle? Yeah. I mean, well, I could well, increase my income spending by more. 50% and I'd probably still be in the same crappy <laughs> position I'm currently in wife. because I would spend That's more. That's your wife. That's but yeah. blame so, that on the wife. So I wonder really, Trust me, the wife trade on that basis whether or not it would, it would I mean, I, I understand that some people can't, really can't afford to buy food and whatnot, but Credit if, if that may actually increasing the minimum wage may may make more credit available to people in the lower income bracket. The fact that they're earning more, and that that's a problem or that's a good thing. So it could be a problem. <laughs> certain people. Yeah, certain yeah, yeah. If it was me, it would I'd be a problem. Because because I would just rack up well, my debt. It ties into. You're going to buy more drugs. <laughs> <laughs> it ties into. Your, 
Sure. Way to go. Way to go over here. The insensitive side of the coin. One thing I noticed when I came from Canada to America was the amount of credit that was available. Yeah. It was like unlimited. Uh, not anymore. Like not anymore. Four hundred times as much. Ten, five years ago, but not no, it still is. Still. still is. Not as much. It used to be. Now it's much harder. You know, so what do we do with all these people if we have all these machines that come in and take their jobs? They're not. Let's say they're not going to go to school. Let's say they're China. not. They're not going to be a lawyer. I, I, I think they're not. I used to fight. That's what do we do? What well, do we I do? Think, do I, I, that's the question. No, do we, do we give them the jobs? Do we buy the machines and the beg to keep them because we can't even give them the food? It's illegal. I used to fight that. I think the problem is where we give our money. Where we give our money. We're paying plenty. What we're subsidizing is American people, the people that are making money. It's not going to the people that need it. It's going to people that don't need it. We're paying to incarcerate people in luxury where that money should be going to people that need help with taxes or whatever, people that need the help, whether we give them, give food stamps to people that are working at that level instead of giving it to people that are not working at all. And we're paying, we think, what, $30,000 a year to incarcerate someone? Okay, we're getting off that. We got to start taking class. We'll talk about sure. it. We've got to finish up here. And, and, um, okay, so. It's a reallocation of what we're paying. Okay, listen. So again, the last thing, one last thing, which is raising the minimum wage increases, obviously, goods. Uh, that's another argument by economists, meaning, like you're saying, meaning the prices of goods go up, so you're not helping these people. You might, they might be coming home with more that's money, right. but if they're going to have to pay, if it causes inflation because the price of goods go up, now manufacturers have to pay more wages, so then you're not really helping the people. Yeah, but again, you're not, is it helping, we have to look at, is, is it helping society or not? So the question becomes, if raising minimum wage raises the prices of goods, so then the people end up paying the inflation, so they're not you're not helping them at the end of the day. So you're right, it puts them in the end of the question. So that's another argument. Okay. So now this is where we're out of time. So I'll just leave the last thing is other two other concerns at the end of the day with as far as Jewish law is concerned with raising the minimum wage. One is there's a concept um, called Ona, uh, which we discussed here in the past. That means Judaism it's really it's a biblical law. The Torah puts a cap on how much profit you can make. The Torah is we're into capitalism. As Jews, we like making money, but there's a cap. Um, the Torah says you can't, you can't, um, you can't charge more than the going rate for, let's say, a product. Let's say there's a specific value. To this, there's a market value for this product. More than a sixth, a sixth over. That's called the crossing cost. A sixth over the the the, the going rate or the value. One sixth over. Fifteen percent. Right. Is prohibited by the Torah. Okay. Um, is fascinating that because law. six is like a oh, uh, factor in 18 or something? No, I don't, I don't know. Kabbalah, we're getting Kabbalistic here. We're just, we're just, that's the law. Whatever the, where they got the, the six from, I don't know. It's a good question. But that's what the Torah says. The Torah says, called Onah. It says you shall not, based on a verse, shall not, uh, it's quoted here. your costs are more than a six, you can turn Yeah, no, yes, of course. We're not talking about costs. We're talking about profit. Six meaning, let's say, uh, this water costs uh, two dollars. Okay, battle, that's the going rate. So, of course, you can't charge. And you go to the airport? No, uh, oh, so that's something else, because that's, there's a service. You're allowed to do that. Yeah, that's discussed, because the, over there, they have to have a contract in the airport that costs them a lot of money, and they're, they're, they're allowed to charge more for that. That's the only water you well, get in the airport. Well, so it's a service. It's a service. It's a Right, right, exactly. There's so service the desert. In the airport. You can't put a price on And something. the TSA doesn't let you take in water. Yeah. <laughs> if Alan brings that in from the car, his service I wouldn't drink it. Alan brought it from the car. I wouldn't drink it. If Alan brought it from the car, I wouldn't touch it. So. <laughs>
I wouldn't touch it if I was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> would be nervous. About. Yours would be hot, they'd pay more for mine. Now, like I said, the point is here. So, <laughs> enough, it's overreaching. I mean, the act of wronging another by selling him an article for more than its real worth or by purchasing from him an article for less than its, by the way, it goes both ways. It's, you can, as a, the, the consumer, uh, sorry, the seller can't charge more than a six month profit. It works the other way too. Let's say you went into a store and you realized the guy didn't know, understand the value. You bought a piece of jewelry from someone, you realize that some old lady at a garage sale, you didn't, and they didn't realize the value of it. So you can't underpay. You have to say something if you're underpaying more than a sixth of its of, of its value too. It works both ways. It's yeah, not just again. <laughs> Um, and please raise your price. So, well, actually, one time I was at like a Bed Bath and Beyond, and something was way underpriced, and I insisted it was like a set of knives. It was like fifty bucks, and it was really supposed to be two hundred. Yes, it could be it's closed out or something. There. No, it's that, if it's advertised, yeah, they have to. It's, uh, it's a lot. Oh. Then you'd be going against the law of the land because the law of the land says that if they advertise it for a price, they have right, to pay. That's the next thing. Right. Right. No, I'm saying that's the thing where someone sells something inadvertently, they had too low of a price on it. And the Jewish law come back to you and say, well, right. sorry, Jewish law, it's an invalid sale. Sell, it's sale wrong. You know, it's, um, yeah, I should have charged you just a minute. It's the minimum amount. All right, so he says there, anything short of fair market value is, is then seen as a form of thievery. There's the concept of no caveat emptor, doesn't meaning caveat emptor, which means it's your problem. You should have, uh, so, so, so the question that I was thinking of applying it here too, meaning once the government uh, sets a wage, like we said, or even if the government doesn't mandate it, but if it's, this is the going rate for a wage, and you have a restaurant, you're, you're paying your employees, you know, three fifty an hour, Okay, and it's more than a sixth less of the of what's either the minimum, the mandated wage, or even non-mandated wage. This is the going rate for what's given to normally to employees. That could be a halachic problem in itself. So even without the government changing law, what we're saying is there's there's in most industries there's a going rate for employees. Okay, so questions if you if you're paying your employees six less of what that going rate is, it might be might again I have to do more research. It might fit into this category. Okay. Now there's another thing which is relevant to the same thing. There's a concept in Jewish law, and I'll end with this, called minhag mivatel halacha. That means the custom overrides the, the law. Okay, so meaning, so again, let's say there is, there's a go, standard going rate. I went to, you know, to pick up some day laborers, it's illegal, but outside Home Depot, you know, on, on Hillcroft or whatever, at the corner, put the, to do my, to pay my house. And uh, um, again, of course, it's illegal. You shouldn't be doing that, but assuming you did it. Um, so the question is, there's a, what is, and I didn't tell them how much I'm paying them. Comes the end of the day, and they're saying they want $12 an hour, and I'm saying, no, I was paying you $6 an hour. Okay, so so the halacha says what's you didn't decide there was no contractual obligation there. You didn't decide what the rate was. The rate would be whatever the going rate is. So I mean, what's the normal rate that these people get? That's what you have to pay them halacha. So you go with the custom, custom meaning what is even though there's no contractual um. statement as to what their fee is. It wasn't. You didn't discuss it with them. But what is the going rate? That's what you'd be obligated to pay. No, it's That's the assumption. Okay. So the same concept in halacha. So the custom voids the halacha. Halacha maintains unless alternative specif unless alternatively specified, a contract. Even if you wrote a contract, we didn't specify the wage. Follows the course with the, whatever the commercial custom is in that field and in that society. Halacha acknowledges that a contract is intended to comply with commercial customs and certainly it acts in accordance with secular law. So meaning, so again, if the secular law or even without the secular law um, is saying this is what the, the what, you, what was the word you used, Steve? The going prevailing, prevailing wage. wage. Prevailing. So then halacha would agree that that's what you would have to pay the
Jewish Ethnic Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom. Shalom.